you're going to have to change what you do and your skill set because more and more of it's going to be taken over by computers and by automation. Don't be afraid to push yourself to understand what the capabilities are of the systems that you're using because they're just going to be changing more and more rapidly. My name is Darren Smith and you're listening to Digital Surfing. A few months back, I realized that I've been interviewing some really amazing people over the past 12 months. But the people that I had not interviewed just because they were very close to me were the other directors and executives at Hubble. So we've been featuring over the last few weeks some of our very own people. This week, my guest is Rowan Reed. He's our Chief Information and Technology Officer. He has a background in information technology and over a decade of experience in web development and system integration. He's passionate about using technology to solve complex problems facing people and businesses today. He was the co-founder of a Cape Town-based development company called SideClick, and Rowan has developed data-intensive web applications for a variety of different industries. In 2018, SideClick joined forces with Empool, and in 2020, Empool and B2B Marketing Lab came together to form Hubble Digital, and we've subsequently added in Bubble Bridge as well uh, in Germany. Rowan has experience in technology. He has a passion for music as well as writing and recording. Uh, so we're going to learn a little bit more about Rowan today. This episode features conversation about artificial intelligence and ChatGPT. It is the first episode we're recording in 2023, and I really wanted to get that covered. We also talk about some really interesting things that are slightly off, off kind of general day-to-day topic. We talk about nuclear fusion as an example, which is incredibly interesting. So let's get to it with Rowan. Welcome, Rowan. This isn't the first time you live on air, is it? You used to be a DJ at uh, University of Cape Town, is that right? <laughs> That's right. Well, I did dabble a little bit there, but yes, I have spent quite a, a number of hours behind the DJ decks. One of the things that I've noticed is the quantity of business leaders and entrepreneurs that DJ on the side. <laughs> Do you think that there is some sort of psychological reason or something as to why there's this connection? I don't know. Maybe it's a creative outlet or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, making use of the creativity of others and you know using it to your benefit. As a DJ, you often feel like a rock star up there, but it's none of your own work, right? But you're, you're getting a lot of credit. So what do you think comes first, like DJing and then business leadership or like a business leadership and then DJ? <laughs> I suppose it could go both ways. For me, it was funding the early days of my entrepreneurship, really. So I suppose it could go other, both ways, too. Okay, so I did have a few minutes to think about this before recording. And the conclusion I came to was, as a business leader, you need to be highly empathetic and understanding and adaptable to the people reporting into you. Yes. And I think that is the critical skill of a good DJ, because if you're playing, like I know you're really into Tina Turner. So if you were to play that all night, like you might not have a dance floor going, but if you're empathetic to your dance floor, you're going to have a good night. What do you think of that opinion? Uh, you know, no, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think it's a bit of a science. You take people on a journey and you read them and you understand them and and you understand where they want to go and what's going to get their heart racing next. Yeah. You say Tina Turner, because I remember that's what we, we played at the end of year function. And, and that went down great, right? But what's funny is that on New Year's Eve, I ended up out at a karaoke bar at the end of the night. 
And I was like, oh, I remember Tina Turner went down so well. I'm going to sing Tina Turner tonight. And <laughs> I, when I did it and it was an absolute bomb. So, yeah, that, that time it didn't quite work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. This is the first Friday, both of us back in the office. It's been a long week. I've kind of forgotten the holidays entirely. It's a brand new 2023 Plenty happened over the last month or, or two in technology and, and so on. And we will have to talk about ChatGPT because I haven't had a podcast guest since it's come out. So I'm, I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to be cliched and bring that up in a moment. But let's park that. Let's carry on on the psychological side of things. So you told me that one of your favorite books is The Power of Now. What's that all about? I only read The Power of Now. I think The Power of Now came out in the late 90s. And I only really came across it about maybe about 15 years ago. And I guess it really resonated with me like it resonates with a lot of people, the kind of message of being present and acceptance and distinguishing emotional response to mindful, mindful response to situations. It was sort of a, how I was naturally functioning to a certain extent, but it was really nice to see it as a movement and see it kind of conceptualized and, and, and written in all of these words. I mean, that book, The Power of Now and A New Earth, it's almost just the same message in every paragraph written over and over and again until it's sort of, it, there is one that resonates with you and, and hits you and like, ah, okay, that's what it means. That's what the ego is. And this is how I can move forward in my life and understand how to conduct yourself. So I, I like solidified a lot of the way I, I was already thinking and sort of translated it into tools that I could use and better understand people who are also like me or not like me. And it's sort of a, a foundation really for my thinking and how I go about it. I do everything, whether it is my personal life or in business and, and working with people. So yeah, that, that absolutely changed my life. I turned into a bit of a preacher for a couple of years after reading that book, but then uh, managed to reel myself in a little bit after that. We work closely together, so we're obviously in board meetings and so on, and I often get that Slack message from you around being more radically accepting. Now I know where it's, where it's coming from. So are you rereading that book to keep to remind yourself, or is you just were so taken by it that you just built it into your life so tightly? Yeah, I mean, I don't have my copy anymore because during my preacher phase, I was giving it out to everybody and now it's been lost somewhere. But I have read it a couple of times. And these days, you know, I'll do more sort of listen, like watching YouTube videos or doing some reading just on the general concepts and all of that, because I have read it a couple of times. And yeah, it's something that is still kind of slowly evolving. And like I said, like the book is the same message written over and over. And it's just interesting to see from other sources, like the same message again, or how it's manifesting itself 10 years later in, in the world and how things are even more digital. It's just it's interesting how these kind of fundamentals stay the same and it's nice to see the message in other yeah. ways. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, let's uh, switch things then to more business related and work related. So you're both our CIO and our CTO. And I'm like, there's a lot of beliefs about people in these roles. I suppose most people wouldn't consider a DJ as a, as a CTO, CIO. They're like, they're commonly thought of as introverts. They, they're just a persona that when you think of a CIO or CTO, that's what you think of. So, you know, what are one of those common beliefs about the role of the CIO or CTO that you strongly disagree with? Well, I guess... I guess one of the one of the beliefs is that it is all about the technology 
And that, you know, CTOs and CIOs will, will definitely come from, a, I guess, a technology background. I come from a technology background. I studied computer science and was a web developer for a long time. But I have always had other passions in, in music and geology and geography. And, uh, you know, I, I majored in both computer science and geographical science. And at school, I ended my subjects with art and graphic design and maths and science and sort of dropped everything in between. So I have always had a lot of different passions. But yeah, like I think it would say be a correct assumption to say, yes, you need to have a strong technology aptitude and focus and passion. But, you know, what's just as important, if not more important, is understanding people and how they use technology and how it benefits them and how to manage that change and make technology useful for people. And so I spend a lot of my time not necessarily researching into depth around what the technology can do, but almost like what the people can do with the technology and the processes that support it and information, the information that, that people have and they use you know, you could even consider it more important than what the technology can do. Because if people don't know what it can do, if people are not willing to, to use it and not empowered and not educated, then the technology is going to fall flat. So yeah, I think that's probably a big misconception is that it's all about the technology and just that side of things. Yeah. Okay. So you said a few words there, like change and research and, and so on. So that's like all about like keeping up to date with what's going on. And it's what's interesting is you, I think, Humans are evolving at a pace we've never seen before with the likes of uh, the pandemics we've gone through, the situation with energy, the war, all that type of thing. There's lots of stuff going on that's making us operate differently. And then there's a bunch of technology advancements. Like, how do you go about that research that you're talking about? Like, how, how do you actually do that? Like, is it listening to podcasts? Is it reading? Is there other things that you do? How do you keep up to date with all of this? nothing special, right? Like just keeping in touch on what's going on LinkedIn, keeping in touch with what's on the news, listening to the odd podcast. I mean, there, there is like a huge amount of information I could spend all day and all night listening to podcasts. So you got to be ruthless in your selection of what you want to absorb. I like to keep in touch with not necessarily won't be following like every single technology item. What I'll spend my time on a lot of other interests like music and other creative items and other technology advancements like the like fusion, nuclear fusion, um, energy and all of that. Like those are really interesting things for me, which I often find just like open your mind up with all these other things that are sort of mulling away behind the scenes in your head. It kind of opens up that creativity thing. Or maybe it comes to music and the, the journey there, but th that's sort of my way to make things solidify in my mind and help me translate this stuff into how I'm going to apply it at work. Excellent. I want to pin that, that topic of nuclear fusion and come back to that. But before we do that, one of the, one of the other things that you've specialized in over the last while is ISO 27001 accreditation. I know that you told me the other day that there's actually a ISO accreditation for making tea. Now, like, so this is external organizations. So is, is ISO a organization? Is that how it works? Or That's right. Yeah. So is there an element of being able to, provided that you're getting recertified each year and whatever accreditation, or maybe every two years, I don't know if they all have to be done annually or every five yeah. years. Like, are these type of accreditations helping with technology advancement and human advancement as well because their standards are changing based on what's out there so 
provided that we're following an ISO standard, like we manage to keep up with trends. Is there anything in that, what I've just said? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, ISOs have published tens of thousands of different standards, right? There obviously are some that are more popular and well-known than others. But I guess one of the fundamental foundational concepts around ISO standards is continual improvement in whatever the domain is of that standard. So, you know, like you're saying, the ISO standard that Hubble has been certified against is the information security standard. And we you need to be um, recertified annually and audited independently annually for it. And you're assessed against all the metrics that you need to have. And like I said, one of them is continual improvement. And you need to be able to evidence that you are continually evaluating the threat landscape out there and the technology landscape out there and what technology we can use to protect ourselves, what technology we can use to make ourselves more efficient, how we can better report on things. And yeah, you, you've got to show that you are that you are improving. So if you're, if you're not adopting new technologies, if you're not adopting new processes or new ways of working, if you're not leveraging external information and bringing it in and translating it and applying it, then you're not going to maintain your certification. So yeah, absolutely. All right. So this is a perfect segue for my chat GPT question, right? So ISO 27001 is all about information security and so on. Now, there are databases of leaked passwords on the internet. So can I ask ChatGPT for a password? And what is the probability of them getting it right because of all these databases? So if I've changed my password every six months, but I keep on getting hacked and uh, or the system that I've got the password in is getting hacked and then they see the AI can see a pattern. And so you can say, what is Darren's new password for his... G Suite and ChatGPT says it is most likely blah blah blah. I'm like, is that has anybody tried that? And what is the probability of getting it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the answer to that is, you know, there's a scary element to it and a not so scary element. You know, these AI programs will work on data that they have been fed, right? And that is the the extent of their knowledge. And I think we're going to see tools like ChatGPT. As, as we move forward, start to being be fed in larger and larger data sets and ultimately even just be you know, plugged into the internet and be able to bring in live data. So I, I would say ChatGPT could, perhaps with the data set that it has been fed, might not be able to say, right, this is Darren's password from 2021, what it was for LinkedIn or, or somebody else's. But I would say with being plugged into data leaks and being plugged into the internet as a source, Absolutely, like these AI programs will be able to either predict or just know from data breaches passwords that are that are out there. Absolutely. I guess that is kind of like the scary thing is that it'll be at the fingertips for people to use. But also these kinds of tools, it, it's become mainstream now, right? Like everybody's creating a chat GPT account and is getting in there and asking it these questions. To a certain extent, these kinds of tools and that kind of analysis of data has been available for techies and for hackers for a while, and it has been used. And also, as scary as all that is, we can use this AI technology in the prevention of these kind of hacks and, and automate the updates of passwords, automate this kind of stuff and preempt attacks. So, yeah, it's it's both scary and exciting, you know. 
So while we're talking technology trends, so AI is obviously a big trend to be watching and it's going to influence things hugely, in my opinion, at a pace uh, much faster than anybody is expecting. So if we look at other trends out there, like what, like if you were to name like a handful of things that people should be kept kind of keeping their eyes on or even going beyond than just watching, but actually implementing, what are some of those? It probably sounds cliched, but... If you were to Google innovation, what are the, if you were to ask ChatGPT, what new innovations are going to be coming in the next five years? You know, everything is digital these days. The top things, you know, AI we're talking about, and that's feeding into more and more automation, more and more wireless connectivity, blockchain, virtual reality, augmented reality, human computing interfacing, like, you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink, which I think in December, they were saying they're going to start doing human trials and all of that. So it's, again, as we've seen in the past 10, 15, 20 years, everything is technology innovation, making use of the more and more data that we're collecting, using AI and other tools to automate. So that's what it's going to be all about. It's going to be about harnessing this automation, harnessing that data and leveraging it in whatever you do. Don't be afraid to use these technologies Don't be afraid to push yourself to understand what the capabilities are of the systems that you're using because they're just going to be changing more and more rapidly. You're going to have to change what you do and your skill set because more and more of it's going to be taken over by computers and by automation. I guess off the back of that, it's really exciting for me in my position and the large focus that we have on information security is that information security is going to become bigger and bigger and more important with the reliance on all of this automation and all of this automated processing of data and artificial intelligence, cybersecurity is just going to keep growing by orders of magnitude and the expenditure that, that businesses need to put into it and what people in their personal capacity need to spend on it is going to ever increase, which is exciting. Thank you. So I make a big part of our business is in the HubSpot ecosystem in CRM and you've listed artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, blockchain, uh, virtual reality, information security, like putting you on the spot here. But if you were to say, like, take one of those trends and transpose CRM against that, like, what could that potentially look like in tangible type terms with when it comes to CRM? I would say the amount of data that we can capture about customers, prospects, people is what it's going to be all about. But I guess quite different from how we have it right now, right? A lot of our data comes through cookies, third-party cookies, and very rudimentary and things that have been around a long time in the internet. And I think moving forward, I guess as businesses and engaging with customers, we've become almost used to having this plethora of data, which has been gathered maybe a little, you know, like in, in a way that perhaps it shouldn't, but we've be, become used to having so much data. And now I think we're, we're starting to see challenges in terms of how we can capture that data and sort of through you know GDPR rulings in Europe and, and all of that, but we've become used to having all of this data. And so there are going to be ways to continue gathering this data in better, more efficient, and uh, I guess compliant ways because that appetite is there now, and but it's it's only going to go further. And then being able to automate the processing and the analysis of that data and the scaling computer power and all of that is going to mean that we're going to continue on that trend. And that's what we're going to have in CRM. We're going to have even more personalization. We're going to have quicker turnaround. We're going to have more accurate analysis of 
who people are and what they like and more flexibility and how we can automate against that. So yeah, that's how I see it playing into HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, very interesting because there's been such a fear of the death of the cookie and how that's going to limit information that we know about people. But like now using AI, that could give you even more than what the cookie gave you. So quite an interesting journey. I'm sure there's a lot of marketers that are now smiling again who have been very worried about that. I want to double click back onto nuclear fusion. Now, I have, in all honesty, no idea what you're talking about. I mean, like, are you talking about the innovation in making bombs or in making electricity? Or what exactly is it all about? Well, nuclear fusion is the reaction that we use currently with that creates nuclear power. And that's what nuclear power use, use, right? And that is essentially the breakdown of atoms to create energy, which creates a lot of energy. And nuclear fusion is essentially the opposite. It is to fuse two atoms together. And it just hasn't been done in a way that is containable and replicatable and in a controlled environment that can actually produce more energy than it takes to create it. And they have, you know, there basically have been recent breakthroughs to show that it can be done. And so it's kind of like the theory has been proven. And that's the next step towards nuclear fusion being the new nuclear power. And one of the big things there is that it's almost, it's clean energy, right? And number two, it creates way more energy than what nuclear fission does. So it's a step in the direction of energy being far cheaper, far more easy to produce. We're not relying on fossil fuels that are running out and causing all the problems that they are causing. So it's incredibly exciting. It's kind of like bringing your mind back to movies like Back to the Future, where Doc is feeding his fusion reactor on the back of DeLorean with like banana peels and beer cans because you can create energy that way. So it's incredibly exciting. And it's going to be, again, I think, foundation for for technology and further advancement in the future okay so most people don't know well actually i don't think anybody really knows this about me but i was a bit of a kind of homer simpson type and i between school and tertiary education i actually worked at the nuclear power station in cape town one of the things there was they were importing fuel radioactive fuel and load that into the reactor that's where they must have been doing the Fission, if I think you said that word, if I'm saying it correctly, but it would need to be replaced every few weeks. I, I don't know what the exact replacement cycle was. And they've got all this waste then that can't go anywhere. And that's one of the problems that they've, that they've been facing. So are you telling me they can now take that waste and put it back together? No. Okay. No, it won't be, it won't be that waste. It doesn't, won't, won't create nu- nuclear waste. <laughs> nuclear fission takes like these really high density elements that have huge high atomic numbers right so lots of protons lots of ne- neutrons and all of that and they split them and create these these unstable radioactive components whereas nuclear fusion takes really really small atoms like hydrogen th- those times like one proton and neutron in the nucleus and smash those together to create new elements but also really small elements and these elements are not radioactive so it just doesn't create radioactive waste but yeah that radioactive waste that we've created unfortunately it's going to stay radioactive waste we've got nothing to do with with that unfortunately okay so now there is an energy crisis around the world we've got colleagues in the UK that i see sitting now in warm clothes because they don't want to switch on the heating because a 
It's going to cost them money. In South Africa, we've had energy crisis for a while. There's other areas, Germany's potentially, and uh, and I'm even hearing US cities that might have to go into some sort of phases where the power's on and power's off. So there's been a lot of kind of innovation around solar, around wind power, that type of thing. Are you telling me then I should not go and invest in a battery bank and solar panels and that type of thing? I should just wait it out a little bit longer because there's going to be this amazing clean power because it, these batteries that are being used by people aren't good for the environment. Uh, so although everyone thinks they're going green, they're not. So is the answer to wait and how long? Yeah, you'll need to wait probably a couple of decades at least. So not realistically, right? These are like a university having done contained experiments. So this is really early days, but it's proven the technology can be contained. So yeah, it still needs to be translated into mass you know, use and be, you know, the actual power plants would need to be conceived and constructed. So yeah, we still got a long ways to go. You'll, you'll need to wait a while. <laughs> okay, I'll go and get those batteries then. All right, we're coming up on time. So two last questions then, um, and more kind of leadership style questions. What, I'm mean, like, do you have any productivity hacks that you use? I guess just really simple is good time management, really. In a leadership position, you find yourself in a lot of meetings and a lot of time spent working with people. And you want to balance that off against kind of time, focus time to, to work on the things that you, you need to do. So I guess one of the, the regular hacks is I just plan my time out really well. I try and keep meetings on particular days or in the morning so that I can have sort of areas of runway where I can I don't need to be looking at clock watching to see, oh, do I need to be ready for a meeting or I'm going to be context switching like that. So that's one of the things that I do. Also, one of the things that I do is what I try and get into a, a habit of is every time I, I do something, I ask myself the question, do I need to do this? Do I need to do it now? Should I be doing this? Should somebody else be doing it? And I almost kind of go through that thought process every time I do something. And I often surprise myself with the answer to it. And that keeps me focusing on the right thing. Mm, yeah, that's really good advice. All right. So one last piece of advice from you. If you could tell your 30-year-old Rowan something that you now know in your 40s, what would that be? <laughs> hmm. I guess... I just revealed your age. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, 30, 30 was a while ago. Some of these answers are kind of cliched, but taking more risks is important. And I mean, I think by the time I was, you know, 30 was around about the time that I, I discovered the, the power of now. And so I think looking back at myself then and saying, yes, follow that guidance, take some more risks, don't be afraid of the outcomes and be more confident in yourself. You know, you know, imposter syndrome is the real thing. And sometimes I feel a little bit of that. But if I were to look back over my shoulder over the last 10 years, 20 years, every time I've taken risks and putting myself into positions of learning and challenge, I've always come out on top, despite the you know apprehension to doing that. So that's, I think, what I would tell my 30-year-old self. But that's what I continue to tell myself now and uh, yet yeah. to fail me. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, take more risks. Good, 
Good piece of advice. Right. Well, Rowan, thanks so much for joining us on Digital Surfing today. For those of you listening, please do share this episode, like the podcast. Let's get this spreading a little bit more. And yeah, it's the first episode of 2023 that we're recording. There have been episodes launched already for the year, though. And I think it's uh, really excited about this year. I think the technologies and so on that we that we spoke about, I think we're going to see them come to life really quickly. So yeah, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Cool. Thanks, Darren.